whether you're a young man. <laughs> Luke, how are you? Uh, <laughs> I'm a bad parent. Why? I lost my temper with Everly twice while giving her a bath, and she's three, and it's terrible. Oh, man. There is nothing quite like the piece of crapness that you feel when you yell at a two- or three-year-old. It's just... It just it lives with you. It has a staying power. <laughs> it does. Especially when it's like like a good old, like, what are you doing? And it's just like, they have this like look of like, you know, pure innocence and fear. And you're like, I caused that. I caused that innocence just to ex- express and feel that fear. <laughs> yeah, but let me ask you a question. Did she deserve it? She yes, she fine. took a towel and like, okay, so I, maybe <laughs> this is a dumb idea. But she was in the bath. She's fine. Like, she, you know, she does a good job. So I was like, I'm going to step away for like 10 seconds, you know. You know, so I figure from her drowning, she's fine. It's not, not even, you know, 10 seconds. I'm going to grab um, something. And I come back in and she's taking a towel. She's already put in the water and putting it on the floor, like fully soaked. And I was just like, what are you doing? Like, and we talked about not putting clothes or towels in the in the bathtub. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, she, and it just, uh, and I was trying to like, you know, I got rid of some of the, some of the stuff because I was like, this is kind of gross. So I didn't have the thing to like unrinse her hair. And I was trying to unrinse her hair and she didn't want to do it. But she like, it was just. Uh, just yeah, uh, so like two or three times I like lost my cool, and I was just like, "You're three, and you're beautiful, and I'm innocent, and I'm sorry." Oh man, there is yeah. nothing like like yeah. I I I still have one that haunts me. When my kids, we had asked them to pick up their toys in their room, my two daughters, and they were little. They weren't that little. I think they were like four or five. And I'm like, <laughs> so, so you know, not as bad as what you just did, Luke. <laughs> no, no, meaning no, 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 meaning no, no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. Mine were a little older because meaning they should have known better. Yeah, yeah. You know, and they were not. But I remember being like, I told you to pick these up. And they're like, you know, like, we tried or something. You know, it's like these stupid little kid things. Yeah. Like insane. They still yeah. do it now even though they're in their teenagers. <laughs> and I went up and I, I, I grabbed their hand. And I was like, this is how you pick up. And I grabbed a toy with my hand on their hand. And I was like, and then you walk it over, and I was like, really sarcastic, and I can remember being like, "What the hell just happened to my brain?" I was so mad. Are you Luke? Is 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 this 2005? Am I having to explain to a college person how to clean his room? <laughs> Come on, Luke! And all of a sudden, Kateri looks at me and he goes, "Dad, for the last time, I'm not Luke, <laughs> and you never will be. <laughs> Neither are you." Kateri, I'm about to tell you something that I usually tell to Shannon. You will never be Luke to me. <laughs> you will never know me like he does. <laughs> and then I just run away, go oh to the gosh. car and just drive, <laughs> listening to Dashboard Confessional <laughs> into the night. It's been up. Um, That's exactly it. I was yeah. waiting for you to do it. I like, I, th- I felt so bad about it. And yeah. she, I mean, like the after, you know, she's like kind of like, not like reserved by me but just you know like i could tell that she was like oh that was bad yeah and and i mean it was ended up being fine but then like we like watched you know part of toy story 4 and then i was like i want to get an rv and we'll we'll go into that in a bit (laughs) and then so i was like putting her to bed i said everly i wanted to tell you something i know that i lost my cool during bath time and i'm sorry i'm like she's three so i'm already you know like i'm probably throwing too much at her and i and I, but I, I, cause I, what I wanted to do is I didn't want her, I don't want her to feel like mistakes are bad. Mistakes aren't bad. Like what's bad is when like, you know what you should be doing and you're, and you're, and you're deliberately not doing what you know you yeah. should be doing. That's yeah. not a mistake. That's, you know, that is different. 
And I was like, it's okay t- to make a mistake. I want you to be okay with like making mistakes. And I'm like, she can't, she doesn't understand this. What are you doing? You know? And I, but, and, but instead of like stopping, I just go, so can you just say out loud, it's okay to make mistakes. It's good to make mistakes. <laughs> and she's like, okay, anyway, it's bedtime. Yeah. Oh, dad, it's uh, getting late. <laughs> getting <laughs> a little weird here. Now, instead of giving me life lessons, that'd be great. Can I, can I tell you, just so everyone doesn't think that I'm a horrible parent, about two weeks ago, so perhaps I'm now a horrible parent, but not then, we were watching uh, we were watching Aladdin, and at the end, I, th- I forget if I talked about it on the show or not, but uh, when when Jasmine goes, I, I, I choose him, I, I choose Aladdin, she like turns to me and grabs my face and goes, I choose you, daddy, and I was like, oh, 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 oh gosh. Don't you dare I- close your eyes. <laughs> i can show you yeah um, isn't it amazing how like this is the thing that just kills me when people reject parenthood as like like mm-hmm. a principal thing like i'll never get married i'll never have kids or whatever yeah and you're just like you have no idea the depths of love and frustration that that can happen right not everyone's called to be a parent but man alive don't dismiss it out of turn yeah, because you don't yeah. want to be inconvenienced. Like it is an incredible inconvenience, but man alive, yeah, it is. It I I I mean, like there's yeah, it just owns me, and I love it. I love yeah. it. Well, you know what's I mean? It's kind of interesting because like I know, and I, I I feel I as a person who's been through like the pain of miscarriages and being scared of like is this actually ever going to happen? Which I talked about on here, and I have some really good friends that they, they can't have kids and are they're bearing their mm. cross in an incredibly powerful way. It actually would be great to have on the show to talk about. So I'm I'm really on the sensitive to this, but I do want to say though, like it, you know, like when you die, your spouse, like your marriage ends, right, or other things. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, right. The parent part never changes. Mm-hmm. You know, like that is something that is eternal. Like I will always be Everly's uh, father, and here and in the afterlife. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. and even I think and, about and, that in terms of Eve, right? After the fall, she was given the name Eve for she is the mother of all the living, right? And you think about that and you're like, it didn't take away her vocation, you know? That's true. That's true. Yeah. <sighs> what does unnecessary sin of Adam mean? Oh, I Felix love that Copa. line. Yeah. I just like. Yeah. Oh, happy fault. Oh, necessary sin of Adam that married yeah. for us so great a savior. So the idea around that, that's the exultet that we sing on Easter Vigil, and the idea is that the sin of Adam is what brought Christ into the world. Now, as a poetic expression, you could say, yes, this is actually a big war between the Franciscans and the Dominicans, because St. Thomas said, St. Thomas's argument was, you know, the question is, would Jesus have become, would the Son of God become incarnate had we never sinned? So the Felix Culpa is often the, the line that Thomas point to where they're like, look at this, look at this. But the Franciscans say, how can we allow sin and evil to be the thing that forced our Lord's hand? Obviously, this was part of the plan all along, regardless of whether or not Adam had sinned from the beginning, because you don't want sin to be that which directs the divine providence. But Thomas Aquinas, his argument, that misses his argument. His argument is essentially, yeah, neat. We can talk about possible worlds all you want. The actual world that we live in is the world where Adam fell. And so that's the world that Jesus entered into. And when he came, 
he came explicitly as Savior, Redeemer, right? His name means God saves. So when you look at it from Thomas's eyes, it's like, okay, we can talk about all this stuff, and that's great, but none of that matters, and it actually can be dangerous when you do certain theological hypotheticals because it's like, because then you could uh, end up saying heresy. So this is the world that we have. We have sin. We have sin because of Adam's. We have original sin, the sin of the world, as well as sins of the world. And so, yeah, so that's kind of the the happy fault of Adam hmm. is because it merited for us so great a redeemer. What did you add to your salvation, your sins, right? The Protestants are right when we say that, right? Like, I didn't earn my salvation. I lost it, and that's why he had to come. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. I've, I've always, it's one of those things. It's, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. it's one of those things it's, that kind of lives in the background of a lot of Catholics. They're like, I haven't heard that. What, what does that mean? It's mm-hmm. a yeah, subject of intense debate. <laughs> I mean, amongst nerds. Let's be very <laughs> clear here. Very We're all clear. virgins. It's like, well, you're a Dominican. That's fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the Franciscans, it's 50-50. Pre-conversion. <laughs> pre-conversion. Pre-conversion. They watch out. They pre- watch out. Pre- like, the Dominicans were already intellectual nerds ahead of time, so they're not yeah. getting late. Yeah. Oh, Luke, Luke <laughs> before we go on. I can't find it. Shit. So <laughs> I bought that book because we've talked about it twice and neither of us had read it um, from Father Benedict Groeschel on uh, which transcendental are you, right? The one, the good, the true, and the beautiful. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was reading the paragraph. It's like two or three paragraphs on beauty. And it's so funny. I wanted to read it so bad because it is so you. It like screams you every Oh, every sentence. Hold on. Let me let me look for it. And you yeah, please, people. please. I got nothing, everyone. No, thank you for listening. This could be episode 400. It might be episode 399, but this could be episode 400 here. So if, we, if this truly is episode 400, what's, what's wrong with you all that you've allowed this to continue? What's, what's wrong with you? Answer the man. <laughs> I got it. I got it. Here we are. Swear to me. Swear to me. Oh, I finally, dude. Okay, oh, before I read this book, I got it. I'll find the passage. Me and my kids, we watched, took us two days to do it, but we watched The Dark Knight Rises. Okay. Two days. Well, two days, because my kids get really bored with movies that they don't, that they're not. <laughs> it's a boring movie. <laughs> it doesn't, it, it doesn't pace itself well. It takes no, it too doesn't. slow. Yeah. <laughs> So we watched The Dark Knight like a year ago, and it psychologically broke my children. <laughs> and I'm like, shut up. Keep watching. This movie's great. <laughs> Look at the pencils in his eye now. <laughs> Don't get dead. too attached to her, by the way. Why? No reason. No reason. <laughs> but I love Rachel. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so we were watching Sorry. the second one. <laughs> we're watching the second one. Or third one. And... uh and we stopped it halfway. So, like, whenever there was, like, the big fight, you know, the fight scenes are all, like, super interesting. My kids are ultra-violent, so it's fine. But mm-hmm. we watched the second one, or the second half, and it was funny. Breaking it up that way made it a lot more enjoyable. Like, a lot more enjoyable. And hmm, okay. what he was doing, the part that I originally hated, all the, uh, you know, Occupy Gotham stuff that was part of Bane's plan to let them tear each other apart. Yeah. When I remember watching that originally, I was like, gosh, it's so dumb. But then I was like, no, that's the whole point is to let them destroy themselves, you know, and you just give them the, the really big push. Yeah. But I just ended up loving it more. And at one point, it was right before, it was right after Catwoman blew up, Catwoman and Batman blew up the entrance to the sewers to let the cops come out. Then mm-hmm. my son 
Noah looks over at me and he goes, Dad, why did you wait so long to show us? This is great. And I was like, let's go into my dream journal. Huh. <laughs> he, he loved it. He loved it. And they loved the prison scene and the hole in the ground in India. Really? Because that, that's when I was most like, what? Why? What is happening? <laughs> they loved it. And I was like, I kind of started to love it too with them, right? Interesting. And I'm like, guys, he's bankrupt. He has a newly repaired broken spine. And somehow he gets to Gotham in 22 days. He gets there on the other side of the world. That is kind of interesting. They did yeah. that like... He has lost everything until all he has is, is, is Batman. Yeah. You know, the it was a the cool, will. like the, the line from Alfred is like, basically he says when they get in this fight, he's like, I would rather you hate me forever. And I'm saying this to you knowing you're going to hate me forever, but it's going to save your life. And that's what matters. And I mean, ultimately it does, but okay, here we go. God as beautiful. Hey, wait, wait. Can I just say one one yes, quick please. thing about that? I think that one of the things with Batman the, with the Dark Knight Arises that's that's hard for me is this is the thing that's tough when you like reboot. This has happened with a lot of um, or a lot of reboots, which is when you put the characters in a place, and I'm like, this just doesn't make sense for the journey of the previous um, films. I just don't believe that Batman goes into mourning over over um Rachel. That like Bruce Wayne, like he can't he hides in his room because of because of Rachel. I just don't believe that. And so, and those types of things for me are really difficult. I think he won't move on with his life because of Rachel, but he's hiding in his room because he can't be Batman oh, because okay. of the okay. death of Harvey Dent and the lie. And that's he, what it's done to him. He has to zero out Batman, but he doesn't have a reason to live. Batman okay. became his reason to live. And so that's actually interesting. Yeah. Okay. So Alfred okay. says to him, He's like, but it's it's both of those things. He's like, you you need to move on. And he's like, how can I move on? She wanted to be mine, you know, whatever. And he's like, but that's the problem is you didn't. You're just existing. And in reality, he's like hoping for something horrible to happen so that he dies. Like that's his that's his motive right now. I and- also was kind of like I'm mad that Alfred turned on him. I turned. Well, I I agree with you. I just didn't like that. But th- that's right. actually interesting when you pace it. In two episodes, <laughs> two viewings, it, uh, to me, I think it made a. L- you, you get to pay attention to the subtlety of what Alfred is doing. I mean, he's trying to get mm-hmm. him to not kill himself. He's trying to get him to be Bruce Wayne because he can't be Batman anymore. But Bruce Wayne doesn't want to be alive because he can't be Batman anymore. So oh, that's, the- that's actually oh, okay. That's actually interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because and, and I and I, I want to get to this other stuff, but this is actually a thing <laughs> on that. And I've like I think I've internally been carrying around this this, this, this wound. <laughs> yeah. Well, and what I was just so like I just. Don't buy this. I just don't buy. I don't buy this. I don't buy this. And like, I even didn't buy because one of my f- favorite things about those first two films, Batman Begins and The Dark Knight, is that to me they don't feel like the first two parts of a trilogy. Yeah. They feel like the f- two films early in Batman's career. Right. Like when the when the Joker says to him, "I feel like you and I are destined to do this for a long, long time," or something. And you like like mm-hmm. that's. I didn't need to see that his like time as Batman ending because it's like it didn't feel like that's what they were building toward. They were building right. towards like, how does he be Batman? What yeah. type of Batman is he going to be? And I think that the new Batman film with Robert Pattinson is actually doing more of that. What type yeah, of it's Batman doing like am a I year going one to be? Thing. Which yeah. is what I, that's what I, I was more interested in that than like seeing him end as Batman. Cause I didn't yeah. want him to stop. Yeah. So anyways, all right. But that finally, is interesting. Finally, there are there those who seek God under the aspect of beauty. They are a God. <laughs> I'm literally, uh, this is my bathroom reading, <laughs> and I like <laughs> laugh as I'm pooping. Uh, just thinking of you. 
They are a complicated group, indeed. <laughs> they are a complicated group. They're a because bit, that's, beauty can that's be a nice the- way of saying they're a bit much. <laughs> I can just imagine hearing this in Benedict Groeschel's like Brooklyn Jewish voice. They are a complicated group, indeed, because beauty can be deceptive. As the Greeks knew and as Plato taught, we find unfailing and infinite beauty only if we pass from transitory beauties to essential beauty. Since beauty and pleasure, however, are two sides of the same experience, there is always the temptation for the seekers of divine beauty to settle for less. The best example of the seeker of divine beauty is the young Augustine. Good company, Luke. Later, as bishop, his complex personality (laughs) extended to other directions, but for the Augustine of the Confessions, God was beauty ever ancient and ever new. The following passage illustrates the response to the call of beauty. But what is it? That I love when I love you, not the beauty of any bodily thing, nor the order of any seasons, nor the brightness of light that rejoices the eye, nor the sweet melodies of all songs, nor the sweet fragrance of flowers and ointments and spices, not manna or honey, not the limbs that carnal love embraces. None of these things do I love in loving my God. Yet in a sense, I do love light and melody and fragrance and food and embrace when I love my God, the light and the voice and the fragrance and the food and the embrace of the soul. When the light shines upon my soul, no place can contain that voice which no time can take from me. I breathe that fragrance which no wind scatters. I eat the food which is not lessened by eating. And I lie in the embrace which satiety never comes to sunder. This it is that I love when I love my God. Late have I loved thee, O beauty so ancient and so new. Late have I loved thee. For behold, thou wert within me and I outside. And I sought the outside, and in my unloveliness fell upon those lovely things which thou hast made. Thou wert with me, and I was not with thee. I was kept from thee by those things, yet they had not been in thee, they would not have been at all. Thou didst call and cry to me, and break open my deafness. Thou didst send forth thy beams, and shine upon me, and chase away my blindness. Thou didst breathe fragrance upon me, and I drew in my breath. And do now pant for thee. I tasted thee, and now hunger and thirst for thee. Thou didst touch me, and I have burned for thy peace. I mean, come on, that's amazing. Wow, yeah. Oh, man, I almost cried there. There are great dangers for the seekers of beauty. From Michelangelo, who said his prayers regularly, to Oscar Wilde, who said them only when in trouble, there are all sorts of seekers of divine beauty who get stuck along the way. Almost every fiber of the human being cries out for some pleasure or beauty. The lover of divine beauty has to be constantly vigilant. He or she is also has to be prepared to fall and rise again. And Therefore, again, along with and the, again and again. <laughs> rise. Again, it's a dark night rises. Uh, Therefore, along with the seeker of the good, he or she will be intuitively aware of the need for penance and a divine reassurance of pardon. If these things are taken away, he or she escapes into a mindless religiosity or unreligious hedonism becoming Ooh. a sad clown whose smile is a mask for the tears within. Holy shit. <laughs> Read those last two lines again. Oh, I just closed the book. He's done of a Yes, <laughs> let me let me do do do. Boy. Right? Okay. Cheesy Pete. Uh, therefore, along with the seeker of the good, he or she will be intuitively aware of the need for penance and a divine reassurance of pardon. If these are taken away, he or she escapes into a mindless religiosity or an unreligious hedonism, becoming a sad clown whose smile is a mask for the tears within. I, I don't even know how to start to unpack that because I'm, I'm like overwhelmed with the truth of that. 
this is what I'm saying. I have read this. I literally haven't gone past that oh chapter. Gosh. It's chapter one, and I'm like, I keep rereading it. I'm like, holy crap, this is Luke. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. What stood out to you from those last two passages that you have me reread? Okay, well, so let me start one with the penance and divine reassurance. It's interesting yeah. because for me, confession has always been my favorite sacrament. Yeah. It's just a one. I mean, mostly because I could get to talk about myself, but <laughs> it, this need for like, cleanse me, um, cleanse me, like, here's a way to like, you know, like say these things, to speak them out loud, and then to, and to experience forgiveness for them is for me incredibly, incredibly powerful. So it is by far not even close my favorite sacrament. Um, and that's real. Like, so much of that, um, like one of the reasons why I think I I want that so badly is because there's this like I can't live with it because all you can do is you can see it because I think when you're kind of more aimed towards beauty any sort of like imperfection I don't mean this in a scrupulous way because even imperfections can be beautiful but anything it's like it needs to be it could be better than this it can be better than this it can be more profound it it can be more deeper it can be you know, so it's not really the fear of hell that like drives me to, to to confession. It's a fear of hell on earth, right? You know, as opposed to like what it's 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 a it's the it is the fear and the disdain for a present hell that could be present bliss. Yeah, and so that's what drives me there is this thing of like I can't like this could be better. This this needs to be better, and um, so that's really like. That's good. That's actually like really assuring and good to know because it's like okay, that's a part of me. Then that's a, that like it, it confirms this thing that I've never really sought to confirm. Would even be the wrong word. It it affirms the thing that I've never sought affirmation for. Yeah, but it's such a part of me that it's it can't help but uh but affirm me. Theology of of affirmation right there, and then. It has to come from other people. It cannot come from yourself. And then repeat the last line again. If these are taken away, he or she escapes into a mindless religiosity or, or an unreligious hedonism, becoming a sad clown whose smile is a mask for the tears within. Okay. So the religiosity I've never struggled with too much for the most part, but I totally can see that because it feels like it's almost like this is the only way I can. like. Actually, no. Okay, that's not true. I, I have was about been to that. correct you. I have been that. <laughs> I was about to say. I, I know some of your famous stories are like y- you feeling like you're just going through the motions and like you know aching for God to show up and do something. You're like, is this even real? You know, but you're still going to mass. You're still doing the thing. You're yeah. still. But it's the last part that like for me that really hit me was that like hedonism and i don't know if he means exactly i have to like so can you just repeat it one more time i'm sorry it's just that's so powerful i need to hear it again if these are taken away he or she escapes into a mindless religiosity or an unreligious hedonism becoming a sad clown sad clown who smiles a mask for the tears within so the unreligious hedonism is the other part that really stuck out to me because during the past year with everything that's been going on there's been this just like uh truly having to wrestle with the worst parts of myself and like a desire to be like, is it better to just give in? Yeah. Is it better to just be like, no, 
I'm not I'm not doing this any anymore. I'm going to you know just I'm done. And it's it's like God or nothing, right? Yeah. You know? So it's like and I'm not saying I'm gonna become like a, a debaucherous fool, but I do mean in the sense of like no, I'm not going to adhere by the church's teachings anymore. I'm not going within reason. Yeah. I, 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 re- I really want to be careful here, but like this thing of like, okay, like, okay, so, but no, because I, I think this is the way I can, I can explain it to where it makes sense. I could never walk away as tempting as it can feel at times because I know this is real. Yeah. I, I don't know how to explain it. I don't know how. I mean, I, there, there are ways that I can, but like, I've just. It's been too many times, but when like this thought of like, well, Luke, are you willing to be alone then for the rest of the rest of your life? And when I think about the reality of that, it's terrifying. It's absolutely, absolutely terrifying. And when I'm most tempted to walk away is due to like the desire for relationship and the just exhaustion of the entire thing. Yeah. And there's this, and when I, and I like, but I could see myself being like, okay, you know what? I'm going to date. And if I sleep with who I'm dating with, that's just the norm. Like, like, okay. I would never be happy with that. Yeah. I would never, I, I just, I know that I would never like whatever temporal bliss comes from that. I would never be happy with, with that. And when I look into my past, like so much of the things that I did where I screwed up with, you know, like different people that I was dating or whatever, and all the physicality that was there, and all this other stuff. It was there's this like you have the tiny like you have like the, the tiny moments of like yeah this is great you know because you know whatever, and then there's the afterwards where it's like this isn't great this isn't great this isn't who I am yeah this isn't great this is a false self yeah, yeah. and it like but it's tough because you feel so in the moment justified isn't even the right word it feels real. And when you're drawn to this stuff, when you're drawn to, into beauty, it creates this almost contradiction at times where it's like, how can this thing that seems so real, that seems, you know, like, this can be as like, this doesn't have to be about sex. This can be as like, I'm as simple as drinking with friends, going out with a group of people, having a good time and drinking a little bit too much. And that next day hangover, like, shit, I've just wasted my entire own morning now. And it's like, but the thing I was doing last night was great. And the camaraderie and the joy and the food and the wine and, and all that stuff. It's like, ah, like it's hard to break yourself out of a thing that's so, because it's like the, the tough part about when beauty is twisted is like it only becomes ugly, like in hindsight, or when you're able to really step out of it. Yeah. But when you're in it, it can be quite alluring and quite like, you know, I, again, I'm not. I'm not even talking about like um, sex, but that we live in a sex obsessed culture, so it's kind of like where everyone's mind goes goes to. But it it's like actually like life can be pretty great after two drinks, and then you, then you go to bed. <laughs> You'd be like, that was wonderful, and now I'm done. Yeah. Does that make sense? You're not chasing after something. Yeah, yeah. So like th- this is the thing that stood out when talking about seeing God as beautiful and as thus the pursuit of your life, beauty is deceptive. Like every one of these, right? Every God is true, good, beautiful, and the one. Every one of these has its shadow side. That's what Benedict Rochelle is trying to get across. So if you pursue God as truth itself, 
Um, he writes, the great spiritual danger for those drawn to God is true. It's not that they will turn aside. The danger is that they will tarry on the way, getting involved with this side of the road or that. Modern scholarship and a great number of published theories, many of them of some interest and merit, offers a labyrinth of ideas wherein to hide from the living truth. Right? And so the idea is I can, you know, the problem is you pursue beauty, but beauty's deceptive. Beauty lies to you, or at least it's many different forms can lie to you. Or or it's false forms, it's counterfeits. And so it's easy to get trapped when you're trying to pursue this great thing called beauty. That's where the, the deceptiveness, because so for Thomas Aquinas, beauty is being as it is knowable to the senses, right? That's how he describes mm-hmm. beauty. So it's, it's, a, it's, some, it's a transcendental that's mostly grounded in sensual experience and could thus mm-hmm. easily become the counterfeit of pleasure right and so that's what he's saying like it people who are beauty lovers can very easily become hedonists but don't just think of hedonists as people who are obsessing over sex and one of my favorite examples of a hedonist is soren kierkegaard in one of his his books he talks about the man who's the ultimate hedonist goes to movies or shows right then shows not movies and then walks out before the ending because he wants to live in the tension of the climax of the movie without any resolution. And Ooh. so he would do this, right? But he, this is a funny thing. He would do this as uh, he was his own actor, right? So he would actually, because everyone knew him. He was like some brilliant rich kid and all this stuff. No one knew that he had the sickness unto death. And he would go to movies and then he would leave and the press would report on like, or shows, they would report on him leaving. And it became all this hubbub, and it was all to serve the fact that he's trying to understand this kind of motivation and character, and and he calls him the esthete, right? And hmm. I mean, let's be honest, you're attracted to von Balthasar and the theological mm-hmm. aesthetic, and yeah, the yeah. aesthetical, theological, and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, for the esthete, the idea is the moment is all you have, so live in the moment. So in the book Either Or, which is one of the most brilliant books ever written, Either Or by Kierkegaard. Either or, the judge is, he represents morality, goodness. And then, I can't remember the other dude's name, is he represents, I think his name is A, he represents the esthete who lives for aesthetical experience. And so what he does is he lives for the seduction. Once he sleeps with a woman, he is utterly bored with her. So people have literally, when he talks about what does it mean to seduce a woman, People have literally cut that part out of either or and sold it as a seduction manual because he talks about, but, but he like gets so into describing like, and, and you know, this as the pursuit is better than the, than the prize. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. the SD lives for the pursuit for that singular moment when he conquers, but the moment of conquering, he, he becomes completely bored. And so what the judge tries to tell him, what the, the guy telling him about the moral life is he said, what you have in the moment, the moral man wants to extend the moment to a life. That's why we have marriage. So you have the pursuit of the one-night stand. I try to take the glories of the one-night stand and stretch it out over a whole moral life, lived in love with someone else. But, it's a di- but then by doing that, it mm-hmm. becomes a totally different time of life. And they're trying to argue these two things. It's, and that's why it's called either or, because he doesn't say, choose this one, not that one. Because Kierkegaard would ultimately say, neither <laughs> you got to become a knight of faith but 
that's for a different story. But uh, he is a Lutheran well, down to his core. Well, that's what's so interesting. Like that idea of like the kind of sad clown. You know, like one thing that's been like so hard about this last year is just like the uh, like what is going to happen? Like what is going to happen? And the having to live in that uncertainty is insanely hard and trying and exhausting. And there's this element of like, how long can I do this? And, and that's, and that's yeah. like, and I, I, yeah. I understand that idea of like the pers- the pursuit. Cause I think I have that just with almost anything. Like, it's just like, give me something to live for. Yeah. Give me something, you know, like give me something to chase, to, to pursue, to, to go after. And I think with a lot of people, I mean, relationship is like the most profound thing that we can experience. Yeah. Pretty much, right? And so that is, man, sorry, I'm, I'm like so, I'm, I'm, my brain is all over the place. But yeah, ultimately, like, I think when, you, when you're like me, when you're like this, it, that's why I think like, can, like for pens and all that stuff is so important. Yeah. Because it, it's not about acknowledging the wrong, continuing to admit that I cannot do this on my own. And that, like, my, I, I'm not trying to excuse my own sin or the sins of others or, any, or anything like that. But there is this part of me that has gotten a little bit, just allows for, like, a lot of grace. You know, and, and a lot of, like, okay, so now what? Yeah. Again, and you, you get yeah. up again and again and again and again and again and again and again until you cannot anymore because you're dead and judgment has been rendered. Like you just keep going over and over and over and and over again, and like the fight's not done until it's done. And when you lose that, if you were to like um walk away, it's interesting. Like that, that I think this is a thing that is kind of like I'm fascinating about it is that it's not like it's not that the why do you have the sad face? It's not because the fight is done. It's because you know that you're down and you just can't get up yet. Yeah. Like that's really it's 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 almost not even about the stuff that you're doing. It is, yeah, it, it like absolutely is. But it's it's more about the fact that like I've just given up and that sucks, right? Right. That's a that's a that that it's a giving up part. That's what kills you. That's what kills you, and that's what like I mean like that's what really because it's just like I don't know what to do besides just wallow in my own filth. Yeah, you know. And I've I've thought a lot about like. One of the things, like in Dante's Inferno, like going back to is like the hypocrite. What's the punishment for for the hypocrite? I believe they're like these, like friars or something, or they've got they've got on like their habits or whatever, and they're filled with lead. Oh yeah, they can't move. Forced to wear coats that are beautiful on the outside, but inside lined with heavy lead, forcing them to bend over and struggle to move. Exactly, and that's like. That is the challenge of like a believer when I've seen this in my life so many times over and over again, where it's like, I hate this about myself. I hate this about myself. I hate that I'm hiding this. I hate, I hate that I am doing this. And it's not like, it's weird because I don't know like what you would think like a just punishment for a hypocrite would be, but I didn't think that. Okay. I think I thought it would be more along the lines of almost like a burning fire that yeah. it's just like, you're just never at peace. And it's really like it's actually a heaviness. Yeah. 
you know, and it's like, I remember the, like so many times in my twenties, um, feeling that after a period of time of like, I need to like, this is getting to be too much. I need to stop. And too much can be like a variety of things. I, again, I, I think this, everyone's going to think I'm talking about a sex. I'm not, I'm talking about drinking and pride and gossip and vanity and Pasidia, like all the things and hiding it and trying to act like everything's fine. And it's kind of like most people who like are obsessed with beauty can't act like everything is, is fine, but they can't throw in the towel. Yeah. That's kind of the, to me, that's again, like that's where that like of sadness comes, comes from. It's, it's when the towel has been thrown in because you know, it's not real. And, and then it's in that, it's in like that moment where it's like, ugh, what do I do? You know, this is all pointless and it just, yeah. Wow. Sorry. I, I don't, I hope that makes sense. Well, for me, the movement of my soul in the last several days has been in confession has been my pride. I would say for the last maybe two months mm-hmm. and I want to call it the pride of being passed over, right? Like the pride that burns when you feel like you're being passed over. You ever have like a group of friends like you did with Jason back in college, right? Like there's this, <laughs> right? But we've all had moments where we feel like, am I being, am I being replaced right now? Yeah. yeah. You know, and it, it's, these, it's the entire it's, point it's, of Mad Men. It, right. And yeah. the, that moment of like, my kids are going through that in a certain degree. Where and I have to whisper there because they're right on the other side of this wall <laughs> and they hear every word I say. <laughs> Literally, sometimes they'll be like, "Dad, you owe me fifteen dollars." I'm like, "What? What? What are you talking about?" And they're like, "We heard you last night. You cuss three times. Five dollars every time you cuss." And I'm like, "Catch you, foxes!" Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Luke cost me money over and over again. The other, I was talking with the neighbor, and the neighbor cussed, and then I cussed, and then my daughter in the backyard goes, five dollars." <laughs> I was like, "Son <laughs> of a gun!" The eagle ears. Uh, but no, so like that notion of being passed over, right? So I went to confession maybe two months ago, and I confessed pride and vanity. And and he said, well, the good news is that you're confessing this, which is the first step in actually fighting it. Pri- really prideful people don't don't acknowledge that they struggle with pride. I was like, oh, thank you for the pick-me-up. So I started thinking about that, and then he said... Sometimes these things happen to you, like you really are being passed over, and the Lord can use that to knock off your pride, and you have to be open to the fact that the Lord can use this. In fact, the Lord's positive will is for this to happen so that you stop being prideful. So, okay, you know, whatever. That was two weeks ago, or that was like two months ago, but it's kind of been with me. And I went to confession two weeks ago. It was a great confession normal confession in and out kind of thing Mm -hmm. and then today during the homily the confession you know i I told you this before confessions happen right before and during mass and so yeah it's awesome and so the confession line was really short today and i was like huh that's that's really short maybe i should get in line nah i just went two weeks ago that's me being excessive and then he gave a homily and his homilies are usually about 30 40 minutes and it was human beings want to be primary causes like the great dignity that god has given us is to be secondary causes he gives us freedom our freedom is real we are not puppets but within our freedom he still is the one who is the overall director right so he still is the one acting it's like the bible right those human authors were real Mm -hmm. authors who really wrote what they wanted to write 
but they also wrote all and only what God wanted revealed. So there, and it's like, oh, that's a mystery too great. Yes, it's just like the incarnation. It's a perfect analogy for the incarnation. Turns out the incarnation is the pattern for all of life. So when I sit there and think about it, and he just kept going, and then I, I pulled out my St. Gregory's prayer book, and I was reading an examination of conscience. No, I was reading the prayer before an examination of conscience, which I love this prayer. I don't know who wrote it, and it's awesome. And there was just this part about like self-love. And he said, there are those of us in here who don't even want healing unless we are the ones who heal ourselves. And we don't want to fight sin unless we're the one. Like, we want to be primary causes. But there's only one, and that's God. You're a secondary cause. So let God, basically let God be the primary cause. And I remember just sitting there. I'm sitting, I mean, like, I'm in the pew, and I'm like, this is exactly my problem in a, in a certain sense. like. And I went into that confessional and I confess, you know, usually I'm in, I'm doing the speaking part of 30 seconds to 60 seconds. You know, I'm, I'm pretty, this is what I've done. This is how many times I've done it. Boom, boom, boom. But this time I was like, it, it was like a paragraph and it was mm-hmm. like, these are all the things that are coming from my disordered self-love and pride. And there was even a, a phrase when I was in line reading on the seven deadly sins, there's a little meditation on what it said, smug superiority. And I get like that at time to time where I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. I know what I'm talking about, right? And that smugness, I have never thought of myself as someone with smug superiority. But I feel like this new phase of my life where finally like the imposter syndrome is dying down when I'm in Catholic audiences and stuff and Catholic speakers, I'm like, I finally have enough self-confidence to be able to mostly, I mean, I'm still nervous and anxious around other people, but that imposter syndrome where like I don't belong here, that that's really gone away now. But mm-hmm. now it's like, oh, but has it been replaced with smug <laughs> superiority? <laughs> Indeed it has. And so not all the time, but like this is this other side of it. Like, I'm better at this than you. Just step back, take a deep breath. You know, and so I was like confessing this while at the same time someone saying, like, I'm feeling passed over. Like my mm. friends aren't they're forgetting me. Like someone said that to me about themselves and I was like, oh, and then I have uh, two other family friends who were just like, you know, life is hard at this church when you're not a part of the in crowd. I was like, oh, because we're being passed over. I get it. Like to me, it just felt like the Lord was putting a spotlight on this in my life. Mm -hmm. It was painful. It was honestly painful. But it was so free. I sat down and after going to confession, I just laughed. I just laughed while I did my penance. <laughs> like a crazy person. Just kidding. While but, mass uh, is going on? Yeah, while mass is going on. <laughs> it was perfect. When I walked out, it was a quiet part of the mass, so I was doing my penance silently, just sitting there in the pew. <laughs> and But I mean, like I was just thinking, like, yeah, this is funny. These are the games we play. Pride plays these silly games. <sighs> yeah. Late have I loved thee. I was watching Pint with Aquinas, and he was talking with Father Gregory Pine, and it was just blowing my mind, and it was great. Is that the one where it's like Father Gregory Pine gives Matt spiritual direction for basically two hours or something it like that? It may have been one of those things, yeah. And I was <laughs> like, man, the more things change, the more things stay the same. Yeah. But there was this part where it, I can't remember. I, I don't know how they put it, but it's something that really resonated with me. It was something about like if you're deep in your faith and you feel like you're kind of past certain stuff, it doesn't mean that you say like I'm not filled with like pride anymore. You still yeah. so like it's there. It's, it's even if the Lord is still like working on it like we're not done yet so 
just the best way to kind of like still own it, say like, I'm a prideful person or like, help yeah. me, be, help me be more humble, like to always ask for help. And it really like just kind of hit me this sort of like, I, all, all of this, what you're, what you're saying, the thing about beauty goes to the importance of repentance, you know, and yeah. how that, and that's such a, like, it's not a forgotten thing. Like, I mean, I, I go to confession a bunch, but, I'm not the best at having like a pattern of like a set day, but it's never going to happen. But I will, you know, I, I, I do go a lot and it, that constant, that understanding that like, I can't do this. So I need the, here's what I can do. Go to, go to confession, admit my sins, try to grow in virtue and in prayer and in love. Those are the things that I can control, but the Lord's going to do all of the work. You know, I can, that's like showing up pretty much, right? Yeah. Like I, I can show up. I can repent and say my fault, my fault, my grievous fault. And I, yeah, that's really like, like you're saying, like if without that ability to kind of like, you know, okay, I'm going to spoil Mad Men here. So if you haven't watched it. You have to say spoiler alert, dude. You can't just do that. Skip ahead a minute. I've already spoiled it like three times. But like what you talked about, that being passed over, it's the like, that's what the entire show is about. Yeah. Don Draper feeling his entire life he's being passed over. That's why he won't sign a contract. It's why he goes out west every time he's scared of anything that's going to demand anything of him. It's why he has all of his affairs. It's why he does everything. And he, he And you don't realize it until, like, it's funny because when he admits his faults, my favorite, probably my favorite scene in television um, history is when he's on, he's when he's on his knees, he's basically in the confessional talking with Peggy, and he says, and she thinks he's about to commit like suicide, and he's just telling it all, all to her. And he says, "I took a, I took a good man's name, and I did nothing with it." Oh, I love that. Yeah. That was my. I just think like that's like because like he to a certain extent is allowed this period to like be reborn as someone who was abused as a kid. Yeah, both like physically, and like sexually, and emotionally, he gets a chance at like a new life, and he doesn't take it. He has, you know, he's able to like, you know, be reborn, be baptized, and he like yeah. just and he just screws it all up. That, that's that's probably the wrong word, but no, that's a great. It's analogy, right? Yeah, that's a great, yeah, 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 yeah. allegory and, there. And then at the end, when the, he's in this um therapy with this guy in this group of therapy, and this is a very average looking guy, you know, he's. He is balding. He's thin. He's not interesting. He just he says he feels like his whole life he's like a glass of uh, a gallon of milk that's you know in the fridge. And he sees his family and his friends. They open the door. They pour out the milk. They put it back in there. They try to grab other thing. They just and they never really pay attention to him. Ugh. And Don starts like to weep, and he gets up and he hugs the guy, and they both just weep. Ugh. And that's oh my gosh, that is yeah. me. That is that's absolutely like, yeah. the way I feel sometimes. And it's so funny because like every like I think that's way more common than people actually like you know yeah like I mean you're probably a little bit in like the beauty group too. I'm sure you're probably maybe a bit more into like the true part as well. But it like that's why repentance is so important because if you don't if you don't acknowledge those things, they will eat at you. Yeah. It will eat at you. It will destroy you. And like you will become like, man, like I can't help but like think of that sad clown. It's not about like, 
when I think about the worst, when I, anytime I've been out my worst, I have presumed the grace of God. You know, I've been in it's so it's again like that sad clown isn't about that he's you're doing the wrong thing. It's that you're stuck doing the wrong thing. And that you're not actually turning back. Yeah. And you think, I will, I will, I will, I will. Just I can't I can't I can't handle it right now. I just can't. And that's where the sadness comes. Yeah. Man. So that's why, like again, like repentance. There's nothing more. I mean, I, I, there are few things we can do as Christians that are more powerful than than that. And I, I don't mean a good. I just mean the act of doing it again and again and again and again. There is nothing more demoralizing in the moral life or in the religious life, in the whatever Christian life, than feeling stuck in your in yourself, in your lostness, in your in your smallness. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. And there are so many times struggling with the same damn sins over and over again where you just feel stuck. And then you sit there and you're like, are you going to, are, am I ever, is, is this ever going to be different? Mm-hmm. Am I ever going to be pure? Am I ever going to be moral? Am I ever going to be good? Am I ever going to be the type of man that I actually really, really, really want to be? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this, it's like this existential frustration which is uh, you know a manifestation of hell of like i am lost and i'm not sure anymore that i can be found and it's that frustration that i have lived in you know with with certain things it just burns i think for me yeah well one thank you for sharing that that's that's true that's a real like that's Particularly when you're like been, when you've been practicing the the, the faith for a, 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 like a while, that can it can feel just like a that's that's hard. I, for me, it's more of a I don't even know if I want to be found. Yeah, you, you know, like that's that's again. I'm, I'm not saying that that is worse than that. This is just this is just kind of like my experience. It's more like you know, I can remember coming home every time we'd be in college and just doing a lot of stupid shit and. Just being like, ah, I need this though. I need something. I got a, a nothing. I mean, my poor mom's gonna hear this. Like, what? Like, <laughs> I had a great. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm. I was being that douchebag college kid that can't see beyond his own um, social life. Still, yeah. You know, I mean, I couldn't see my dad's like I'm failing. I mean, I, I could, I could, like, and I'm. I remember like that doesn't seem good, but it was still hard for me to like make it, be like, hey, this is probably more important than anything you're you're going through. Yeah. Like what's happening to him? Like what you're seeing over the course of these next um, couple of years, this is this is pretty bad. Yeah, and um, I think I don't know. I I was probably just too scared. I'm not just like just too like I can't. I, you know, I remember dropping him off at the hospital one time, probably 2006 or so, and just being like, "Oh shit, this is not good." Yeah, but anyways, anytime I come home from college or home in my 20s before he died, I just couldn't see past. Don't you like me? You know, like, or yeah. so I'm going out with my buddies and uh, I'm drinking with them. I wasn't really like hooking up or anything. It was more just drinking and staying out late. And I just wanted something to do. I wanted, I like being around my friends and that's what they did. And I like doing it. Yeah. And there was just, and that's like, that was such a dark time in certain periods because there was just a thing of like, do I even want to get better? Like what, what else is there? Right. 
and like and in my pride i would see a lot of the catholics who were doing stuff like this is boring as shit and everyone's weird <laughs> what you know and just like i don't want yeah. this and so i'm left with like well you know i'm off at work at 11 let's go to gravel's and drink till four and repeat and when i was 21 it was you know fine but like there is an element to it of like when i when i wasn't and i don't even think drinking is that big of a deal but like it was more of like i have to hide this yeah you know because this is not what i'm you know like what i've the kind of life i've said i want to be living have to like and actually like and that's one of the things that like i struggle with about we don't don't know this is like when it comes to things like a drinking age that kind of creates sometimes this weird dynamic but i don't know man that like i struggled so much with just like apathy towards the faith when i was home because i just felt like it was hopeless like okay so that thing that you talked about when i feel like i am hopeless like that it turns into apathy Mm. that is apathy towards where i am right now and then i presume grace down the road i'll fix it when i get back to school Uh uh-huh uh-huh i will fix it i wonder how many hundreds of people listening have said that yeah you know you just you're you're yeah, I mean, in a sense, this is a uh, a chadia at its worst, a cedia at its worst, right? This is mm-hmm. like I'm just done. I'm just tired. I'm nothing good is happening. Blah blah blah. And that's <sighs> where I've been for the last couple of months, to be honest with you. Yeah. Like until we started doing this, sh- I mean, like things were also like with the divorce, like starting to finally kind of come to an end. So, but there was a period of just like, I was just like, I, what what do I have? And I'm, this is probably a little bit too real, but like I have a little bit of space between right now and that. So hopefully it's not too bad. But it's like, what am I like? What am I doing? I don't. I, I don't have like like what do I got? I got. I don't have anything. You know, and that's that sounds. I feel like whenever I um, say that, I'm like people who are going to hear this who are around were like, well, we were doing all of this stuff for yeah. you. Wasn't that good? I'm like, yes, it was amazing. Yeah. Um, that's that's not what I mean. It's just like that. It's the grind, you know, it's the every day, the like, it's the, it's the Thursday night at 1030 PM, you know, when it's like, you're going to bed and I just can't cause it's on my mind and I can't, I'm just like, I don't, I, I have nothing to do but to sit with this. And it's, and when you're like, when you're home during college, particularly out of school, like at Franciscan, this is a much like less dramatic form of that but it's it was kind of the same feeling to be honest with you yeah they're just like i'll fix this you know once the divorce is done this will finally be fixed you know and it's like well funny that's not true again (laughs) you know and once i go back to i'm a franciscan this like semester will be different or and it it just you you know know what it reminds me of it reminds me of the decline and fall of mars hill that podcast, mm. I never actually I'm listened to it because I, I, I no? listen to a lot of the. Oh, I thought you did. I, well, I listened to a lot of the bad um Christian stuff on it. They yeah, did a whole but, thing, yeah, and it was just like I was like I kind of I was kind of like Marsh Hilled out. Yeah, oh, fair enough. If that makes sense, enough. but but I would love to go back to it. Christianity to to Today it. did it as like a serial. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, yeah. I would encourage you to go on and listen to my homeboy. May he rest in peace, Reverend Timothy Keller. And they interview him at the end because Reverend Timothy Keller was a part of some reformed church group i don't know that did 
that Mark Driscoll was a part of, and there was money that went to like fund these pastors and speakers and stuff like that. So he had to get a little defensive and defend. Like I didn't platform this guy. I was never close with him. I've issued many warnings about him, but at the end of the day, blah, blah, blah. But he tells a story that I thought was fascinating. And I think a lot of people who work for the church do this. He said, there was a pastor that I knew who was really good at his job. And he would, and I think the thing he said was he would have affairs uh, like once a week. He would cheat on his wife, all this stuff. I want to, I don't think it was pornography. I think he was going out and, and whatever. And he just said, so it was some sexual sin that he was committing over and over again. And he said, the number one question when people find out is how did he act like such a hypocrite that he could live a life on Monday in such a way and then on Sunday something different? And he said, I'll tell you how he did it. He did it because, or he did it by Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, he would go and get prostitutes or whatever it was. He said, but by Friday, he would stir up within himself enough guilt feelings and enough Mm -hmm. self-hatred and Mm self-loathing that he would convince himself over and over again that he is repentant, that he is done with this that he detests his sin, he hates himself for the sin, and he's moving on. And the ritual continues. Yeah, and just to give him that enough of that, and, and yeah. I think he's profoundly insightful, just to give him enough of that spiritual energy exactly. to preach yeah. an incredible sermon on Sunday that everyone thinks that he basically hung the moon. And yeah, yeah, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. I have a friend who was telling me about a youth minister who got caught propositioning uh, an underage girl online. And he was like, I knew it was a cop the whole time. I was joking and blah, blah, blah. And I just said, how long has that guy been an addict to pornography? And my friend looked at me and was like, holy shit, like 10 years. How did you know that? And I was like, cause that's, that's what they do. Like, that's what we do, right? Like you try to come up with scenarios and hunt mm-hmm. for these fulfilling things that will never you know, whatever. And she's like, but, but no, no, no. He said that he knew. And I said, that's what they're lying. He's lying. Like, you have to understand this. She said, but he gave the greatest. And I said, I know I'm going to finish her sentence. He gave the greatest chastity talks. He gave the greatest anti-porn talks. He gave the greatest theology, of the body talks, whatever you want. Men and women relationship talks. He gave the best, didn't he? Because he had that self-hatred that he channeled like an artist into this, you know, <laughs> this, uh, you know, rage fest of emotion that then he sampled and and spun his talks from. Like every time he's talking, he's talking to himself mm-hmm. in disgust. And it's like, I get that, but that's what this is. So this is when I'm going to amend a thing that I said earlier. Please do. When I, I don't know what Grishel meant by when he said penance, but I'm going to change this. I wonder if he means not just con- not just con- confession. But actual penance and acts. Yeah. So I'm going to use that guy as an example. Uh, that's that's. I mean, I don't know him. This isn't fair. So I'm going to use this. Oh, let me not say that guy. Use yeah. this. Yeah. Scenario. That is not repentance. Going to confession. So you've got to run your youth group on a Saturday, a Sunday. But you got to do this thing on third. But on like a Thursday night, you're looking at pornography. You are um, yeah. listening to underage girls. You're doing whatever. 
You go to a confession, you feel bad about it on a Friday, the dopamine starts to pick up again on like a Saturday ever so slightly. You've been to confession, you're feeling better about yourself. You do your group thing and then you just repeat. Maybe it's every week, maybe it's every month, who knows, but like you just repeats. That's a ritual. Your confession is part of the ritual. ritual. It ends and then you start over again. Yeah. You know, and like, the the danger of all the stuff with any with any addiction and I'm gonna put this as an addiction like I think a lot of our sins are but but yeah anyways is that like the addiction isn't the use it is once the once the ritual has sped up to this point that like now you're in so like the the decision to use comes way before you know uber rich drug addicts will talk about when they've decided to the use the ritual starts once that choice has been made and when and then they go through all this stuff in their mind they, they repeat certain things they decide how they're going to handle it do all this stuff and that's yeah. the addiction it's the yeah. entire experience the check then comes they spend you know tens of thousands of dollars or like whatever and then you repeat my point is so then what does repentance look like in this situation when confession is part of your addiction? Yeah. It, when it's part of the ritual. If you not, I, I want to be careful with, with, with my words. I'm not going to say the addiction, but the ritual yeah, is that you have to disrupt it. Right. Uh-huh. And this is why sponsors, 12 step groups, support groups, actual like counseling, all that other stuff. That's what d- disrupts it. Yeah. The danger is that stuff can also become to a certain extent, a certain extent, 12 step yeah. groups. It's super hard to hide in that, but like part of that, and you need to be willing to like, what did what does the disruption like what does you know that like what does what are the acts that i'm actually doing in my life so when i am repenting so this is where i'm going to add up it's not just some confession but it's like i'm changing my life in this way i'm changing my life this way i'm actively going to seek this out and go through with it that's community is the only way i think you can actually do a lot of that stuff yeah i don't see I, you cannot do this on your own yeah but that that and that's the thing about the nature of sin and addiction is you want to be alone. Mm-hmm. You want to be alone. Addiction in its fullest kind of manifestation drives you into isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I think of a person in my life who was a crack addict. Uh, we used to call that person a human black hole. They would walk in the room and you were like, oh. So even when they were around people, they were constantly pushing, pushing, pushing people away. And it's because we were all inconveniences. We were all reminders of what he shouldn't be doing in his life and hmm. yeah man that 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 killed me and it was this person going to court ordered rehab where he's forced to sit there and learn about the 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 brain chemistry part uh and the the rituals and all that part of addiction and then if it gets healed in you and you go back to the exact same environment operating in the exact same way you're going to fall back into the same patterns so you need to have different patterns or else you're going to get caught up in the ritual all over again because the same people are going to be mm-hmm. the same people. You are the one that needs to be different. And it's like, and, and what's your life worth in order to be different now? Hey guys, what's up? This is Luke. I am super thrilled to announce a partnership that we're doing for this month about the movie free. We're partnering with Bosco films and with fathom events. Fathom events is the, is the media company that's brought you such things as the opera live in movie theaters, a re-release of Jurassic Park, that's amazing, and a lot of other cool stuff that you've seen on movie screens across the country. They're doing a one-day event 
for the movie Free, and we're partnering with them to share with you all about this film. This film is incredible. I think it's something that you all are really going to love, and I truly hope that you take the time if you work out of parish, bring some people with you, bring your bring your small group, bring your family, bring your kids. This film is incredible, and we're so thrilled that they've asked us to partner with them. And if you go, you're going to see a super cool Catching Foxes ad before the movie. It's pretty awesome. It's a slide. It's pretty great. So, okay, let me tell you about the movie Free. For centuries, many men and women have left everything to give their lives to contemplation. Free is a journey into the inner self of man. We have obtained permission to enter and to talk to people who rarely utter a word in places that remain closed to the world, the monasteries. What leads a person to strip himself of the world he knows to withdraw from it for the rest of his life? How does such a person think? Free approaches great questions of man's existence with only one objective, to listen to them. You need to go and see this film. It is incredible. It looks gorgeous. It is exactly as we talk about the need for silence, need to withdraw from technology, the need to really see reality, what better way to see reality as it is, the thing that draws to the quietness of our hearts, the depths of our hearts, the places that have the answers that our hearts long for, monasteries. It's a film about monasteries out in Europe and Spain, talking to the people who are there right now. It is gorgeous. It is incredible. This is a movie you need to see in the, in the theaters. It'll be there for one day on Thursday, the 2nd of November in the year of our Lord, 2023. In the show notes, you're going to see a link to the trailer. I highly encourage you to pause this episode, go to the show notes, check out the link to the trailer as well as to the website where you can buy tickets on there for seeing free on Thursday, the 2nd of November. If you want to go to the, to the website, that is fathomevents.com slash events slash free. Again, fathomevents.com slash events slash free. One more time for the old people in the back, fathomevents.com slash events slash free. Check out the trailer in the show notes. Check out the website. Buy a ticket. You're going to hear more about it from us. We are so excited to be partnering, partnering with them. Go see this film. It is going to be incredible. It's super interesting because the first step in like recovery, you talk about you admit you are powerless. Yeah. It is not an intellectual admission. Yeah. It is a what do I have? Where does the power seek in? So how, where can I be like, you know, um, you have to like, that's really difficult. Yeah. And this is where I think when it comes to things like pornography or other things, let's just stick with pornography because it's going to be the easiest one, I think, for everyone to relate to. God help us all. <laughs> the like, you know, okay, why do you think I have a dumb phone? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, you know what I mean? Like, like, like <laughs> this is one of the reasons why. And it, it was just like, I cannot tell you the exorcism that I felt once I got rid of my phone. I don't think it's a phone. I think it's my attachment to the phone. Yeah. So let me be very clear. I don't think iPhones are bad. I cannot wait to have one again, but I'm going 90 days at least because I need to just like, you know, I need it out, out. I cannot, I have to break that. I couldn't, you know, I just could not stop. I could not stop. And I was like, I need to do something so f***ing dramatic to try to stop this because I am powerless. And, and I, I don't get angry at the church or people when they say, when they say things like, have you thought about just doing, doing like, this you know and like oh my confession is like thanks i've never thought about that thank you they all mean well and they you know like but Bless it's them. this yeah ab absolutely but this element of like what 
when we say that we are powerless and it is the Lord's work, how much do we really understand what that means? Would you be willing? Like, I've seen a lot of healing in in like in your life with your with all the porn stuff, and so like wherever you're at with it right now, like don't say yeah, but he doesn't. I'm gonna know this because that is bullshit. I, I do. You have grown and how you're able to manage that, and I think if you hadn't. I think you'd be in the worst career you could possibly right. be in. Right. I think I think it would borderline be wrong for you to keep doing that. Uh-huh. Now I think you've done a great job of like admitting it and of like you know owning it and your wife. So you know like all the stuff you know you put all this yeah. like you've done a, like I like to like when we whenever we you know we don't do live shows a bunch anymore. We have some people with them when you get back to sorry about that. Like we sleep in the same hotel room. It's also just like easier and it's more fun. But that sounds gay, but it's not. <laughs> it's just but like, it could be. I'm not just, saying never. I'm just, it's just saying like not I was right in now. college. It's just like yeah, you know. Yeah. Would you like? I'm secrets out again. You know. Um. And um. I'm secrets out. It. That's that. That's that's what I mean, right? Like you're yeah. you're 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 able to like. This is where I'm powerless. These are the things. And like, how much are you really like? If you're okay. If I'm talking to us and I'm 25. And we're all in the apartment in like, you know, in like Houston. I'd be like, there's not a damn computer going in anyone's room, nor any of our, our smartphones going in a room with us. They're all going to be in the basket up here. Yeah. And in the know, lockable charging station. And we're yeah. Gonna, and we're all going to yeah. know who's going to be gone first. So if you pull your phone, we know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, like, cause that's how bad it is. That's, that's how, that's how extreme you have to get. And like, think about how often we say like, I'm powerless against this sin. God's the only one who can, who can like, who who can like fix this. So it's like, okay, so if you're powerless over this, over your ability, like, why are you still giving it power? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like why? Like, and I, I, I had to ask myself that, like, you know, I should have thrown my smartphone away f- 15 years ago and taken a break every now and then. Cause it just like, it just, I mean, just I find myself addicted to the internet. I'm mean, talking about like, you know, like I'm sex or anything. I'm just talking about like just yeah. being on Twitter, being on this thing, being on like like I'm just like constantly trying to find that engagement. And it's like, okay, I wow, this is this is kind of nuts. Yeah. And I also think about like the biggest problem used to be before the iPhone was people were addicted to their computers. Like let, let me change let me stop using the word addicted. People were always on their laptops with yes. laptops. Yeah. That, Remember, yeah. laptops started to become a thing. Like, they weren't always a thing. Apple, in a huge mm-hmm. way, IBM ThinkPad, they brought the... Because laptops used to weigh... I mean, my freshman year, 2001, my laptop weighed almost nine pounds. Right? You mm-hmm. don't you don't gingerly cart that throughout the house. But what people would do, and I remember people saying this, my husband, when he comes home from work, hangs out with the family, eats dinner, then he just goes into his office. Right. Or she goes over to the computer in the, you know, in the family room or whatever and is always on the computer. They're always on the computer. And that used to be, um, before the iPhone, a really big complaint about people because it's just the internet, right? Like there's always something to read, always something to watch, always something to see, always something to whatever to, to be entertained. And this is before all, I mean, think about it, like before all the streaming services. Mm-hmm. But if you were to combine, if you were to say, if everyone listening to this went to a dumb phone and you kept your social media and the only time you ever checked your social media was on your laptop, your Instagram, your Facebook, your whatevers, the only time you did was on your laptop, you would cut your wasted time by, for some people, they would measure it in hours a day. 
right? Even if you didn't put any limiters or anything else, just the obstacle of having to sit that you can't just every time you're in the bathroom, every time you're bored, every time you're walking in a hallway, you can pull out your phone and be on. And the the horribleness of uh, and the enticement of online pornography. I was just watching a show, uh, Modern Wisdom, and this guy was talking about how he studied gambling. And how did they make gambling so addictive? And so he went from gambling to food to like all these different things and how they're all so addictive. And he said, like, you got to understand, like entire universities are built around making you addicted to these things. Right. Sex is already alluring enough. You add the porn, you, you add the gamification stuff to it. And it's like there's almost no hope for you unless you do like what you said, like. There comes a point where we just have to, you, I love the way you put it. Why are you giving it power if you are powerless over it? And, and I just think that, yeah, that that's just what people are doing. People, me, you know, I think about certain someone in my life who is always on social media the moment there's a downtime. And just uh, in my head, I was like, man, if there was a laptop, that was the only way you could access you. The laptop would be out a lot more, but it would still be less than what you're able to get away with. Mm-hmm. You know, it just owns people. Luke, yeah. we've let our products own everything. I I agree with you. I would just take a I'd take a little bit deeper and be like, we have let every the products are a reflection of us. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the worst of us is now more accessible. Oh. <sighs> That's it's, what's a, it's like a negative feedback loop. Exactly. Exactly. Like companies are built on the predication of stealing your attention. And I hate to be alone with myself and deal with myself. What is that line? Man cannot bear too much reality. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to bear my reality and my fault. So I'm looking for distraction. And it's like, here's an entire multi-billion dollar industry that's waiting to give it to me. And it becomes this. It's a, it's a feedback loop where it gets louder and louder and louder the more we enter into it. Do you remember when I got mad at that priest on Twitter, like the happy priest or whatever? N- no. And then but a lot I, of people got angry at me. Um, <laughs> so it's just fine. I mean, they're, I, I mean, I understand why they got angry and they were probably right to, to be so. The, the poor guy. They were just trying to, to help a lot of like anti-porn stuff. And what, what was like hurting me was I was just like, ah, oh, this is, it's so much more serious than this. And yeah. I, I, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to bash them at all. That, that that's where I was coming from in that in that moment, and they could have been taken way more serious than I, than like I, than I realized. So I feel bad that I'm even like saying his name again. I mean, God bless him. I'm sure he's doing great stuff. He does not like us that I can tell on Twitter. But like it, this is don't don't look it up. Don't look. <laughs> How do you know I looked it up? Because my <laughs> whole face went bright got, with yeah. the. <laughs> Someone had a tweet that was not very kind to us, and he all and and a few people had responded that were not very kind, and he liked all of them. Uh, the, the point is, wow, he went like, through oh. them all. Okay, but you know, I mean, I also like blasted him for a thing that should not have probably like he was. I understand why he doesn't like me. Like, you know, like it is right and just, sir. Um, <laughs> it's just like this is so. So just acknowledging it is not enough. Yeah. Just acknowledging it and talking about it is like for a lot of these, for a lot of us, like I get It's not enough. Mm. And like, Oh, I do remember that. The acknowledging. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's just not enough to just be like, 
and that, and that's what I was getting from a lot, and that's where I think like for me a lot of stuff on Twitter is like hard because it just feels like it's not really getting to it's, it's not it's it's like a ten thousand I don't know miles wide and yeah. three inches deep, you know, and it's like this is actually, and I don't blame anyone for like I'm again I'm not like this is why I have to like kind of pull myself out of that because it's like I need real understanding about things, I need real I need to really understand a thing, and Twitter's not a place for really understand a thing. Twitter's a great place to connect with people. It's a great place to find out about stuff, but it's not a good place to understand things. Yeah. And like I and like shame on me for being angry at people for not trying to deeply understand a thing. <laughs> you know, that's not fair. That's yeah. not fair or or right, but it's also not not a right of me to like expect to find it there. Yeah. You know, and that's what I'm and that's the powerlessness part. It's like for me, go back to say, like Twitter reflects the best and the worst of us, and it's the worst of us on, on like just it's it's it can be so good, but it can be so horrible, right? And I don't know like what else to do besides like kind like I don't know. I feel like we're getting back into our like anti tech thing, but I don't want to do that per per se. But I do want to say like I know there's a way like to use it that is what that is like is virtuous and is good. There might be, yeah. I I I've experienced some of yeah. that, but I'm not there. Yeah. And so I, that's why I like delete and come back. Like it's a, like, like a real addict. So um, can I can I tell you something funny about that? You created an, an, another Twitter account. I did. Did you already delete it? No. Oh. <laughs> so I created it last night at Lay mm-hmm. Evangelist. So it's my old handle, but it's not the old account. So it's like from scratch, right? And, um, and I typed in, I've I typed in like five people's names. I followed you with some others. I can't remember, but it's funny. So I, I put some stuff on there cause it's like, okay, well I'll just tie it to my internet stuff. Every time I do a blog, every time I do a talk, every time I'm out and about, I can at least post and notify people. Like this is a thing that I'm not good at that I can become good at. Facebook is more for friends and stuff like that. Maybe, maybe X going to be something like that. So I'm trying. So I typed some stuff out, sent it out. This uh this afternoon I went in, logged in once, fired it up, am looking at it, and this guy had posted something about the the Palestinian Israeli conflict, and it says, Look at these monsters. This is what they're saying. And it was a and she works for the BBC. And she was like, ha ha, laughing I'm crying emoji, laughing till I'm crying emoji. Um, look at all these Israelis run, you know, from Hamas, uh, you know, I'm on the side of the Palestinians, haha. And it was like horrible stuff. And you scroll through her and I was like, this is crazy. So I click it and I started scrolling through and it was like, look at all these Israelis are fleeing to the Tel Aviv airport, trying to get away. Why don't you stay and fight you cowards? Ah, ha, ha, yay, Palestine. And I'm like, damn, that's right. And it's like, look at this Hamas captured and is, uh, and is beating a general in the Israeli or whatever it was. And I'm like, what the hell is this? And, and and I realized like the English was a little off. So I went by and I was like, if this is a journalist, they're writing in complete sentences, you know, for a tweet. So I go back up and I'm like, this can't be real. And it wasn't. It was a fake account that someone had created with this woman's name who's a BBC journalist. And the guy that came up, uh, I don't follow him, but it was one of those like Twitter things, thinks you should follow him. And it popped up and I clicked on his post to be like, oh, wait, this is clearly like a botnet thing. And every single post under his was like, hey, this is a fake account. Hey, don't look at this. This is a fake account. Nope, this isn't real. This is a fake account. It doesn't really go to this journalist. And and 
And, like, and then I started seeing other things, and it's like this thing started rising in me where I'm like, someone's wrong on the internet, <laughs> keyboard, crack my knuckles. And then I just went up and I was like, close, I'm going downstairs. Yeah. And cause that's yeah. when, and I was like, okay, this is an experiment. This is a, this is like a, a 14 day trial in me not mortally sinning by telling, telling people off in the name of Jesus. So that's the line I have to walk. Bishop Barron, I, I'm sorry. Bishop Barron has been effing killing it. And there is some stuff that he has been saying lately that, I mean, has ripped, like, I, I don't know, it's powerful insight. So episodes I would encourage people to listen to, why you know, why are we scapegoating on the internet or something like that, where they go through Rene Girard scapegoating. We did a whole episode on that. And then his interview with Ethan and Maya Hawk on the new Wildcat movie of uh, Flannery O'Connor's life. Just talking about art and and philosophy and theology and Flannery O'Connor while I'm reading a book called The Life You Save Maybe Your Own, which is Walker Percy, Flannery O'Connor, Dorothy Day, and and Thomas Merton. It's a it's a brilliant book. Like he's killing it. And the stuff that I was hearing from there, and someone said, Well, how can I be a good person online? And he's like, If you can't be virtuous online, shut up. Stop it. Like if you aren't bringing more faith, more hope, and more love into onto Twitter, like get off. Like as a layperson, you need to not be vicious online. And he's like, and it's real, and it's a real temptation. He's like, but stop being vicious. He said it wasn't vicious, but it was something like that. And he's like, that's that's your moral responsibility online. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. So I'm getting encouragement from the jobby job world that maybe I should do this, and I'm getting a good rebuke from Bishop Barron, like you better doubly watch out that you don't do something bad with this. And then I recall my, one of my really good friends talking about, he does, he wasn't even on Twitter and he was, and I, I had just gotten off and he goes, well, you know, Twitter could be super beneficial. And I said, Oh yeah, how? And he said, well, for instance, there's this doctor and he's not connected to, he, he does his research in this area and he's a world famous like heart surgeon. And so what he did was he began to reach out to people in blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden within, um, he said within like two hours, he had access to research that would have taken him months and blah, blah. And now they're coordinating research studies across the board via a handful of tweets and a handful of links, and they're changing the face of heart care or surgery. And I was like, yeah, but what if someone's wrong on the internet? <laughs> like, can I yell at them then? Right. So it, it was just this interesting thing of like, I really need to figure out the, the best use case for Twitter. Because it does bring out the best of us and bring out the worst of us, and and do that thing. I really want to. I really, really want to. Yeah. But it's an experiment, and I will burn it to the ground if I have to. I'm pretty sure I can't be. Well, I don't know. Can't be honest. I I just don't know if I. The beauty thing, man, it's just like it's just it it like. It's hard to filter out a lot of that bad stuff. For me, I wish it was. I wish it could be as easy to be like, yeah, I just don't pay attention to them. I found a lot more joy when I don't respond for the most part. Yeah, a lot more. I, I think I can do occasional use. I think that's okay. Yeah. Um, I found that when I'm not really engaging with, with like besides people I like and care about, then it's fine. But I don't know. I don't know. Well, there are there are social media apps, or excuse me, there are apps that help protect you on social media. So one of them, there's like a YouTube program that lets you, when you click a link to watch a YouTube video, it will block all the recommended videos so that oh, you cool. don't get lost in a rabbit hole. Cal Newport talks about that. 
so you don't get lost in a click a doom scrolling kind of thing there are also video or there are also apps that let you like type out a tweet and then it'll add like 10 minutes before that tweet is then posted on behalf of that app to your x account and so it provides a time frame that's like oh okay well maybe i don't have to shoot off the hip right and so by just adding those things you're able to yeah you're able to overcome a lot of the the knee jerk you know getting your id out on the internet kind of thing yeah yeah i'm gonna research that i'm gonna see if there's any because there used to be like power user programs that you would put like you know you have a column for facebook a column for twitter a column for yeah, they killed all that stuff because everyone wanted to do their apps internally. Yeah, damn it! But those are so great for like, like yeah. what? What is United Airlines and Delta? What do they use to they manage? Just, they have people, so now they hire people who just do Facebook, who just do Twitter, who just do Instagram, who just and they do, do it within the TikTok. app itself. That seems so non-power so. usery. I don't think that stuff really exists for. Food. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm sure on like a high level, like you're paying a shit ton of money. But like tweet deck, all that stuff doesn't exist any, uh, yeah. anymore. Yeah, no, I know X killed it all. Uh, here's a great line that I think we could end the show with. Apparently, adult life is mostly crying and looking at menus online. <laughs> That's true. Oh my gosh. Oh, that is hilarious. Oh, I'm reading. I'm like reading a lot, which is really cool. Yeah, what are you reading? The Iliad. I've been going through this for <laughs> a while. I know, it's, and it's that translation that you told me about. I've been reading this on and off for the past like two years. Nice. So I'm going through the Iliad, The Name of the Wind by Patrick. It's like a Rothfuse. I'm not good at saying that. I'm not very Rothfuse. good at Rothfuse. Man, that's a hard name for someone with a stutter. R-O-T-H-F-U-S-S. Also someone who didn't pay attention to the phonics portion of school. One day for me. One day. Friends Divided by Gordon S. Wood. This is okay. It's not my favorite Gordon Wood. John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. Cool. Yeah. It's good. It's, I wish it was a little bit more like this is what they were saying back. It's still more like a biography of the. T- it's, oh yeah, man, I'm, I'm gonna go into, but it's it's good. It's good. It's just not what I wanted. Mm. Let me put it that way. And then uh, I think there's other stuff that's somewhere scattered around here. That I've been reading. Oh, and I subscribe to a scholarly journal called The Point, and I am obsessed with it. It is very much up my alley, but the whole like beauty and stuff, cool. and whatever. It's really there's some stuff in there that I'm like, oh, I cannot wait to talk about this. The Point uh, Journal. It's just the point. <laughs> the point mag, a magazine of the examined life. Yes. Ooh. Who's it by? Yeah. I'm not really sure. And I, it seems to be more of a, a moderate thing. Like it's not like, which I, I love because I'm really tired of like, you know, the like, you know, I'm tired of all you right wing people. You're so funny. And your hatred of the wokeism. And I'm tired of all uh, of all of the wokeism. This is a place where there's neither. <laughs> i'm just kidding but uh, i mean kind of it's great though it's very i'm like obsessed with i mean just the the editor's article i'm like well i need to read this six times and journal about it because this is just like fascinating i mean absolutely fascinating so i'm I'm like the I'll, I'll be very brief about this she was talking about how i think we talked about this before i can't remember if it was on, on, on the show or not but that basically there was such a like people were so critical of works of 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 works of fiction that were not based in is that right i, I forget i i, I want to be when i talk about it i want to be accurate so i'm going to wait but i'm definitely going to bring up some of the stuff on the podcast because it is phenomenal so what about you anything fun 
Uh, well, fun. I have a book series that I'm reading that I don't really like. My science fiction series, I'm in like a holding pattern because they all come out in November and it's so painful waiting. Uh, I'm caught up on everything. It's hard being you. Oh, it's so hard being me. But so I started reading a, a series called Backyard Spaceship and it's interesting, but it's not, it's like bubblegum. It's fun. But yeah, that's not, that's not really, really what I want to go through. But, um, so then I've been reading Plato's Republic. That's my um, grind reading. That's been incredible. I have taken more notes and created more outlines just for myself to truly understand his argument. Nice. And I freaking love it. And uh, I, I've been trying to formulate a way to talk about it on the show because Socrates says some insane things about what the perfect society would be. And it's like, okay, so if you had a perfect world, what they're trying to answer the question, what is justice? And he says, well, let's start with the state and then we'll go to the individual. And then he's like, okay, so here's the perfect society. It's very simple. You have craftsmen and you have guardians. And guardians, some are the soldiers or police force, and the other half are the philosophers that run everything. And so basically they're talking about their education and it's like they can't listen to fun music at all. You have to ban that from the whole... The whole city has to have, and they go through like types of harmonies and melodies and musical instruments that have to be banned because it'll lead to disorders within the soul because they are, there are types that are, that create or that arouse the passions in incorrect ways. And so if you're training a Hmm. young person, what they do is the young person needs to be able to recognize virtue when he or she experiences it. And that's the music that is wild that serves the passions won't let you do that. And it's funny because I was talking about this with my my daughter about three weeks ago or two weeks ago. I said to Katiri, you know, I really want to sit down with you because she's getting really into Taylor Swift. I said, I want to sit down with you and pick like one album, like her latest album or whatever, or pick her top 15 most famous songs, right? 15 most listened to, most downloaded, however we want to do it, like Spotify top played. and get the lyrics from every one of them and go through the lyrics and ask ourselves one question. Like what worldview is Tay Tay putting out there? Because someone said this to me once and I I couldn't stop thinking about it. It's like, you know, parents go so such great lengths, making sure their kids don't see things that are inappropriate, you know, too advanced, too much violence, too much sex, too much, whatever that it ruins their kids, but they don't outside of like, parental advisory explicit lyrics they don't really think about the messages their kids are receiving in their music and music is far more influential in a child's life in a like a teenager preteen teenager's life than anything else and i'm like yeah i used to go into my room for hours alone and just listen to music well that's what my daughter does when she wants to be alone she goes into her room she turns on music and now she has access to 30 million songs with our apple subscription Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but, but here's the deal. I've taught her to be virtuous in the sense that if it's an explicit, she knows at least that I will be unhappy and then I can find out if she's listened to explicit content and she doesn't like that stuff. She doesn't like sexual yeah. content. She doesn't like cussing and yeah. stuff. So I'm sitting there going through this in my head and I'm like, I'm in, in a certain sense, I'm doing the thing that Socrates is talking about because I want to raise a daughter who is wise, who is just right. Who is, has discipline and temperate, moderate. And who is courageous? Like our motto was the motto with the girls from Cinderella, be courageous and be kind. 
And I mean, we even have that written on a piece of wood that we hung over their door when they were little and uh, in their art room and all this stuff. And that was like a motto that we intentionally wanted to shape them with. And the more I get into this stuff, it's like, no, no, no. The older they get, the more you have to be in their lives as they are becoming independent. Yes, they'll, they'll Particularly find, the dads. Yeah, they'll yeah. find the independence yeah. all the time. There's always nooks and crannies where they'll find it. But what parents do yeah. is, oh, well, I got to let them be. And it's like, no, 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 no. That's when they need you the most. And so yeah, I agree. when I told her this, and this is before I started going through Play-Doh, I said, you know, I want to go through the lyrics with you. And she just looked at me. She goes, why? None of the other parents do this with their kids. And I started laughing. <laughs> like, I said, Luke, Luke will. He's a little behind the trend, but Luke will. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Mostly be like, do you want to watch a Mad Men and see how like, they're like <laughs> parallel scenes? Let's talk about <laughs> themes. Uh, yeah. So, but I just said to her, I was like, but here's the deal, honey. Music, even when it's at its purest entertainment, is still a worldview. Mm-hmm. Right? And they're drawing from this. And I said, and sometimes I can disagree with someone's worldview, but still find their music breathtakingly beautiful, Mm -hmm. right? And see, that's the thing about art is I have to understand what it's doing to me or what it can do to me, right? I listened to Rage Against the Machine my whole life. Since they first existed on the world scene that I could hear as a kid, I have owned every album. I have listened to every song. All the annoying songs that are basically filler on those first two albums. I listened to every <laughs> single one of them. I used to read the lyrics and I used to spend hours in the album art. And I used to be like, these freaking commie bastards. <laughs> every single one. But then I would go like in uh, uh, Evil Empire, there's a collection of all these books. And I was like, James Joyce, Portrait of the Artist of a Young Man. I was like, these are books that like in my head, I'm like, I could build a bridge with good old Zach, me and him, me and him. We could never be friends, but maybe that book I could build a bridge with weapons, not shoes, not guns, not, not clothes, not food, not, not food. need, just feed the war cannibal animal. I walk the corner oh through the gosh. rubble that used to be a library line after the mine cemetery now. <laughs> oh, I love them so much. Man. Someone told me, uh, oh, Dave Van Vickle texted me. He's like, I'm working out today and I'm just listening to Rage Against the Machine. And I was going to text him. You either drop the hits like De La O or get the F off the commode. That's one of my favorite lines with that song. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, and it's funny how much. Um, but, but, but what my point is, let me just say. Yeah, my point right. is you can listen to it and enjoy it and you can even tap into it, but be like, but I'm not a Marxist, right? Like, oh, here's agreed, that agreed. really funny yeah. Marxist part. Or here's that part where he says a yellow ribbon instead of a swastika. When he's referencing Persian Gulf War One and people put yellow ribbons on everything. A yellow <laughs> ribbon instead of, I'm like, well, that's hyperbole, my good friend. However, a yellow ribbon instead of a swastika, you know, I'm like dancing around like a monkey. Um, okay, really quick. Love I, I, I want to add a point yeah. to, to this, but like if you could see Rage Against Machine live, would you go and do oh, it? Oh, 100%. I would not even. Yeah, if, me if, too. If, me too. If I could I still feel safe. Question. <laughs> no i would absolutely do it i would work out for like six weeks ahead of time just to be in like great cardio shape i could just just i would just like stretch out warm my body up and just flail around and just oh <laughs> my, my favorite we need to do this we need to go see your age my favorite story is they were playing a concert in some huge concert venue and all these people were chanting fight the power and Zach Taylor stops the whole show and he's like are you here because you believe in our message or you're just a bunch of suburban white kids who are getting angry at mom and dad? And I'm sure all of them are like, I mean, it's definitely the second one, but I don't want to say it out loud. <laughs> so true. Right. But, but understand, like, this is the power, right? Like being, mm-hmm. be, yeah. being someone like I can enjoy Taylor Swift knowing that she does not know how to love. 
the way Pope John Paul II's love and she's responsibility is really trying. She's trying. Oh, she's going her, through some stuff. Bless she's her. She's trying. Oh. Her boyfriend just got his Achilles torn, so that's all. That whole thing is done. Her boyfriend. The guy she's at various stadiums with. I don't even know if yeah. they're serious. I don't even his know. His Achilles if they're is done. Listen, so Luke, let me tell you the one crummy thing that she just did. Jonas, her ex boyfriend that she started writing all those horrible songs about, mm-hmm. he's going through a divorce. He's got kids, and she immediately connects with the ex-wife and does a publicity stunt at a restaurant she ain't over him yeah but can you imagine the album stuff that's gonna come out of this i'm so excited i'm like yes get in relationships get heartbroken <laughs> yeah. uh i feel like i could date taylor swift okay anyways next um this was supposed to be a 10 minute topic episode <laughs> i know do you remember that's the classic do you remember when i said that in front of you guys and your daughter what <laughs> like i could date taylor swift oh, yeah yeah, and I was like, I could definitely date Adele, but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, not even close. What? Um, so one of the things about this that the point that uh, really hit me. They were talking about art and artists. They called it like the view as like the great equalizer. Yeah. So like, why it's important to read books um, like Lolita, where someone who does horrific things is you can see the worst of us and see the human in them. Yeah, which is a very Christian idea. Like the slaves know better than his master, and his master is no better than his slave. Equality is a Christian idea, mm. and um, I think when you're when you're doing this stuff, you see it really humanizes all sorts of people. And it's what's great is we do through art, like or books, where you, like these are fake characters. Like I don't think Don Draper's a good person, right? I don't want to hang out with Don Don Draper. I don't want to be Don. Don Draper. At the same time, I think Don Draper is like effing great. I would love to spend all the time with him, and I want to be exactly like him. So, like, that's what's great about it, right? Is you see, like, these are the parts of you that are really good. These are the parts of you that are awful. And we are both. We are all um, fundamentally yep. good. We all have horrible aspects to us. Yep. And to really be in community with people is to embrace both. Doesn't mean that you allow it to happen. Or that you say it's fine, but you have to embrace both. Yeah. And that's, honestly, that's the beauty of of Bishop Barron's interview with Ethan Hawke and his daughter Maya. I'm like, sure he's so weird, Ethan Hawke. He seems so freaking weird. Really? Oh, yeah. On the show, he was incredible. Like, yeah, he's on the camera. Huh? <laughs> Fair enough. He just does weird a little too well, where it's like, oh, okay, yeah, you're... <laughs> Well, I don't want to judge anyone, unlike you. But uh, <laughs> you're so anti woke. But um, that comment's going to live with me for a couple of weeks. Uh, the the experience of you are. I am absolutely. I think it's the end of civilization. Absolutely. Uh, I'm the experience. No, the experience of Ethan Hawke on that show. They were talking about uh, not the experience of Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke and Maya and Bishop Barron. And it, the best part was like Ethan Hawke loves Flannery O'Connor, and then his daughter when she was sixteen. She fell in love with her, and uh, mm, th- she did that's, like that's th- cool. Yeah, so so the, and she like came to her dad, and she's like, "Hey, I found this prayer journal of Flannery O'Connor. How incredible is that?" And his da- and Ethan Hawke's like, "Oh my gosh, my six year old is reading a prayer journal. This is amazing." So he comes across as a very great dad. Apparently, I, I said this to someone, and they were like, "Yeah, I googled more about the movie. And apparently, there was a sex scene, and uh, Ethan Hawke films his daughter in a sex scene and is the director." And you're like, "Oh no, it's Clint Eastwood all over yep. again with his daughter." But um. But the Flannery O'Connor thing, all of her characters, they have this whole great discussion for like 20 minutes about that moment of grace. And mm. some people reject it 
and some people love it. And they tell the story of um, this one couple. She's a conservative, uh, super religious person, and he's like a wild child bad boy, and he's covered in tattoos back in, you know, that, that says something. And so he's trying to show her love, and he gets a tattoo of Jesus. And she's so mad, she, like, starts punching him. She's like, why would you do this? She starts punching the face of Christ and bruises the face of Christ, right? So she's telling this, and it's like, and then Maya says, you know, but but really, like, here he is thinking he's doing this, and he's loving her, and all she wants him is to come home early and not be drunk. And he thinks, no, look, I now have this tattoo, and it's like, he will only love her, like, he feels like he's going out of the way, but he only does it on his terms. And it's like, but here's an opportunity of grace equally for her to show, like, look, he's trying. He's trying. But what do you do? You swing mm-hmm. and kick and punch and curse and all this stuff. And what do you do? You swing and kick and punch and curse the face of Christ, right? And so it's this moment where, like, and my f- first Flannery O'Connor story I ever read was A Good Man is Hard to Find about this brutal murder by the misfit of, of this family, including, like, a baby. And the grandmother was like, you know, she's the worst of them all. And yet she almost converts him, right? And uh, and she's really the villain of the story in a lot of ways. And it's just, she'd be a good person if only she were faced with death every day. You know, something like that. And it's like mm. these moments of grace where it's like, you can do something with it, you can do, oh, no, you let it go. And so that's that's what she's a master of. And uh, yeah, they, they, they talked about that tension of like, the worst of us is often found in the best of us. And the best of us is often found in the worst of us. And it's that interplay that you can't have, you can't love a person without also embracing that or else you're not mm. loving a person. You're just loving part of a person. Like it kind of goes back to when we had a great interview with Dr. Greg, Greg Bataro about learning to like kiss the leper to learn to yeah. embrace the like part of yourself. It is very love well, a part of yourself that you, that you hate to embrace them and say like, you're trying and I love you. Yeah. Like this, this addiction, this way I react, my anger you're trying to bring about a just world you're trying to do these things that you think are right yeah. like i love you this isn't but like we can you know like like embracing like to love the part of yourself that, that you hate i cannot do that for other people yet yeah i wish i could sometimes i can it's easy it's it's easy when it's easy when it doesn't impact <laughs> on me yeah and when it's when heroic it's you know it's hard when it's every day yeah you know it's one of the, one of the reasons why i think things like marriage and religious life are so important because like how many fights have we gotten into, you know, where it's like, really? Yeah. Held your ground on that long time. (laughs) Paper towels, huh? (laughs) (laughs) That was the thing, huh? That was it. Yeah. And, and like, it it also, always gets back to like, um, something deeper, but like how often was I like arguing with the person? This doesn't have to be like, you know, within my marriage but within like people that like i i date or they just wanted to be seen they just wanted to be heard about their pain i'm like no but you're doing this and it's like yeah like look past that like there's a reason you know i don't know it just it really like that's super hard like when i like i mean just to be blunt i don't know should i go into some i'm not specific but but like no, okay. I think here is a good place to stop. Place to stop. Okay. I think it is. I think it's a wise place to stop. I think um, right too. Because the more I just don't want yeah. I think we've I think we've done enough vulnerability. It's, we're an hour forty five. Yeah, we've done enough vulnerability yeah. for the kids. I'll 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 tell you afterward just because I do think it's kind of interesting. Yeah. But I do want to say Yeah, this is 
being passed over is a part of the litany of humility, you know, that others may be chosen, right? That others prefer provide, you know, whatever. And I don't like that, but I do know that a lot of my problems stem exactly from that. And I don't want to be, I don't want to admit my failings and my struggles and my sin because I'm afraid then I'll be passed over even more, you know? And there's that fear that uh, I will never be as good as a Father Mike Schmitz or a, a Brandon Vaught or a Bishop Aaron. Like these are the people that I compare myself to all the time in the Catholic world. And I'm just like, it, it is, you know, and you tell yourself all the time, like, I'm not them. I bring something that they will never have, never be able to offer, whatever. But there's these element where it's like, yeah, but I should have been doing the thing that they're famous for. That should actually be me, and they're wrong that it's the, it, the world is wrong that it's them. And it's like, this is how arrogant I am, right? Like, even my friends, I hate them, right? And this is why I'm accursed. You're in, you're in good up company. You and Donnie D. Me and Donnie D. What's the line? D. I just feel like a carton of milk. They take me out, they pour me out, and then put me back. I forget exactly what he says. Oh. Yeah, but I never watched gets, the last they're, season. They're always going for like other things, and they just skip over him. Just watch the last two episodes, and it's. Oh. I mean, you're gonna miss some stuff that I think is important, but like, it is. I I just I remember one point in time people were talking about on on Catholic Twitter. It's a few of the Catholic Twitter in in, in people who fancy themselves the intellectuals because they are, and they were talking about the greatest. TV shows and I brought up on Mad Men, they all like quickly yeah. like shut that down, and I was like, "You're all fucking wrong." <laughs> like, you're looking at the yeah. sin, and it reaches a point where it yeah. does it uh, does glorify. It. I don't want to deny that we get to pretty close, but like, yeah. there's consequence to all of it, right? And it shows the cost everywhere. You're just, it's just very flashy, yeah. And like, I don't know, I just I get annoyed. I'm like, I it's the too. greatest show of the. I mean, it was named the greatest show by um. Some magazine, the thing on the best shows of the twenty first, yeah, of the twenty first century. And they put they uh, put Mad Men as as um as number one. I think it's only going to get better with time because it just it's it's yeah. it's like the wire. So like much. it's a show that mm-hmm. changes the way shows are made. Yeah. Anyway, all right. What do you want to yeah. say to close this out, or is that it? Yeah, I don't remember. Okay. Yeah, don't Thanks to our sponsors. Do all the things that the sponsors say to do. <laughs> <laughs> Especially the big sponsor, which is probably going to come out. Either it will be a big sponsor one or it won't, but there's a big sponsor and pay attention yes. to said big, big sponsor. Oh, yeah. Big you pay attention cool to that big stuff. sponsor. It's very cool. And we're going to have to record that big sponsor at tomorrow because I am tired. Yeah. Also, folks, we are recording this one day after the last episode that we recorded. So, Luke, our fans are dying to know. Did you and Everly go to the coffee shop? We did. Yes. We did go to the coffee shop. Was she so happy? She was. She was thrilled. She was very happy. It was good. We went a little bit late. Then I then I took her to a we passed a boutique and I was trying to explain what the boutique was and she's like, Mini's boutique, Mini's boutique, Mini's boutique And I was like, No, there's there's no mini there. Mini's boutique, Mini's boutique <laughs> And so we had to go in the boutique and then she had to buy something and so we spent eight dollars on hair braids. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, y'all. God bless. All right.